We have an exciting partnership to announce before we get into today's Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt has been asked to join Reads Across America Radio, a 24-7 internet radio station where you can listen to veteran stories 24-7. Uh, you can find that on the iHeartRadio app. You can also find it on their website, readsacrossamerica.org. The Scuttlebutt will be featured Friday nights at 9 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. If you don't know anything about Reads Across America, they're an incredible organization, all dedicated to honoring veterans uh, and, and those who uh, gave all in service to our country. Check out the Scuttlebutt on their radio station and all the other programs that they have on their 24-7 radio station, again, on iHeartRadio app or readsacrossamerica.org. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. You can find out everything there is to know about the VBC on our website, www.veteransbreakfastclub.org. Org. We hope that you would join us for our live Zoom programs that happen every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. On there, we talk everything, military topics, military history, all branches, all ears, all are welcome, including non-veterans, to come and learn and be educated by this living history. Today on The Scuttlebutt, I'm very excited uh, that we will have Jack Maxwell join us. Jack is not a veteran. He's an actor, but he's hosting a new program called American Homecoming. You can find it on the website, AmericanHomecoming.tv. There's one episode in production. They are looking to do a full series of this. It's a really interesting and exciting program. Uh, it's a home renovation series set in the vein of uh, uh, Fixer Upper. Uh, while you're out in Extreme Home Makeover, you've all seen these on sort of HGTV. Uh, but this show, American Homecoming, has an important patriotic twist. The whole point of the show is that they are working with veterans who have been affected by war physically, uh, who come home after their tours uh, and suddenly are not able to live in the house that they uh, that's their home. Their website specifically says, uh, it's an unfortunate fact that many of our veterans return from serving our country disabled to a house that no longer serves them. Uh, what was once an easy walk up a couple of steps to the front door now requires a ramp. Hardwood floors are not a luxury, but now a necessity. And navigating the house now becomes uh, difficult and time-consuming and often aggravating. Um, you can think about being in a wheelchair and the doors are not wide enough for you. You can't make it up your stairs to go up to your second floor. In American Homecoming, uh, they have their one episode here online you can watch for free. They have a veteran who they sent off with his family on a surprise vacation. And meanwhile, uh, a whole army of experts, uh, carpenters, designers, uh, come in with a bunch of volunteers and they mobilize and they uh, renovate and remodel this house in a week. And I say this because I mentioned in the episode that I've recently had a bathroom remodel done and that was one bathroom and it took them four weeks. So they were able to do a renovation of his house in one week and he comes back and realizes that his house has been changed, but for the better. it now he's now able to live in his home. Uh, an incredible conversation that I get to have today with Jack Maxwell, the host of this program. We talk a bit about his acting history. It's fun uh, to learn about how he got started, how he was cast as the host of American Homecoming, um, but also just his team and what it meant to work on this uh, with volunteers and with veterans and for a really awesome purpose. Uh, I hope that you will give this episode a listen and then check out AmericanHomecoming.tv to watch their first episode. Uh, it's something you will definitely never forget. So please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell of the Scuttlebutt on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any thoughts, comments, questions, uh, or ideas for future Scuttlebutts that you'd like to see. Uh, thank you so much for watching and enjoy the show. 
Joining me now is Jack Maxwell of American Homecoming. Jack, you also have pretty an extensive background uh, in TV and theater, uh, which is great because the Scuttlebutt audience knows that I have a background in theater. So I'm excited to talk with you uh, about not only your bio, um, but everything that you have going on with American Homecoming, which is a really exciting TV program upcoming. Uh, I'd love to give, uh, give you the floor here and you can introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's nice to meet a fellow uh, theater uh, guy. You know, I, I didn't start acting until I was 29, almost 30, and I just walked into an audition. I wanted to do it my whole life, and I just didn't believe in myself, which is a really sad but good life lesson that you should always, in, in, the, in the face of impossible odds and no matter what anybody says, and they said it, believe me, <laughs> believe, believe that it's possible, not because you're good at it or because you're going to become famous or successful in your chosen career, but because you want to do it. And there's nothing more important than having passion for something, a love for something or someone. But in this case, a path to follow. And really, you're just listening to your heart. So don't let anyone ever doubt that because they don't know you or what you're capable of. So I, I finally taught myself that lesson. I walked into an audition, never having had any experience in acting mm -hmm. or an acting class or anything, but I just wanted to do it so badly. And trust me, I did. <laughs> it was such a bad audition. I can't believe they gave it to me. In fact, they didn't. Uh, I had to come back and do it again. Mm -hmm. uh, usually you call that portion of the auditions callback as you know but i came back not knowing what a callback was that's how green wow. and i just walked in and said i'd like to do it again and they said what do you mean again well i was here the other day oh well you see yeah we we have to call you back hence the term <laughs> callback and well it was close but you didn't get one and uh they let me do it and they gave me a, actually a bigger part than what i auditioned for and i asked them why and they said because we have a feeling that you understood you weren't good. And still in the face of that, you came back and subjected yourself again to possible humiliation, uh, to, to rejection once again. And there's something about that that we admire. Don't get us wrong. You're no actor, but maybe we can help you with that. And that started it uh, back in 1993, late 93, early 94. I have a lot to get through with this history, but but the, the word that's ringing in my mind is perseverance, which is going to come into play later with American Homecoming. But uh, the actor in me says, what role was this? I, I'd love to know. Was this TV? Was this a stage production? Yes, it was a it was a tiny little stage production because, again, I, I, I had I had no experience. So, um, you know, I, I, I was lucky they didn't throw me out. I don't think I would have got television or film, maybe. But in this case, it was a tiny little theater company that, that did their plays on a basketball court mm. over two weekends. They had to build the stage and then tear it down at the end because on this indoor basketball court at this rec center, they needed it for other things. Um, but it was the play was called Curious Savage. Curious Savage. I'm going to look that up. Uh, so yeah. you were 29, you know, late 20s. Almost and 30, yeah. Yeah, so it's something that you always wanted to do. Why, why did you decide now was the time is it, it was it where you were at in life like where where were you at at that point yeah no that's a really good question i had tried it before or at least i dipped my toe in the water but i never had the courage to dive in only because i was told there's no way you can be an actor 
you come from the projects of South Boston. You have no theater training. You have nobody in your life shaping you, teaching you. You're just learning whatever you learn from the streets, from your single mother, from whoever. You just don't have that kind of depth to be a good actor. And certainly no training. So every time I tried, I was rebuffed. Even signing up for an acting class or or whatever, I was told, you just can't do it. You're just not good enough. You're not trained enough or anything like that. You know, there's, there's been a million uh, reasons why I shouldn't do it. And shame on me, but I believed in them. So uh, one day I moved from Boston with a couple of buddies to Las Vegas. And I was at this job that I wasn't crazy about, but I needed a job. I just got there and uh, and I was reading the newspaper and it said auditions for a play. Hmm. And I decided at that moment that nothing was going to stand in my way. Mm-hmm. I didn't care anymore if I got rejected. I needed that line of delineation that to, to cross over, to be able to say, at least I did it, whether I believed them not or, 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 or you know, still had doubts. I said, I'm going to do this regardless, yeah. not because of what people say, but because the merits of the audition, whether I get it or not, at least I'll know that I did it. See, it's, it's, it's not. It's not the end of the journey that that proves the success. It's the it's the journey along the way. I think you know mm-hmm. the the willingness to take that first step is, is is the 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 true victory. I think so. I I started going in that direction and I auditioned and they gave me a part and then those guys invited me to an audition for this big play in this big theater company and. Um, uh, at the lo- the largest uh, playhouse in uh, in Nevada, mm-hmm. and uh, I got the lead in that somehow while I was still doing the other one. Yeah, and uh, and work I said, "Work begets this work." Is... That's what we say in the acting. Once you get work, suddenly like everything avalanches, and work begets work, and you suddenly start acting a ton. Yeah, and it's not just the work; it's the belief in it. A lot oh. of people will say, and perhaps there's some truth to this, that it's it's not. It's not the doing of the acting job that's the hardest part. It's the getting it, yeah. right? It's putting yourself in that mind space. And once you book the job, then it, then it can be fun. Sure, it's hard work and a lot of lines to learn and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's getting it. That's the hard part. So to me, it was the doing of the audition. Whether I got it or not, I had to face the fact that up to that point, I talked myself out of it and I let other people do so. So just doing it to me felt like an accomplishment. And then from there, I've been doing it ever since. So take me back a bit to, to South Boston. Uh, where did this uh, sort of passion come from and the and the idea of perseverance? Was this something you said, a single mother? Um, it, you know, lead us through sort of your early life. You know, what 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 got you uh, going in that early time? Yeah, I'm sure it was a, at first probably a bit of escapism and fantasy. You know, I lived in the projects, which was uh, of South Boston back in the 70s. Um a uh, somewhat uh, challenging place to live, let's say, mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, single mother, very young. Uh, I had a, a baby sister. And uh, for me, I just gravitated, I think, to that. Uh, I was pretty decent at sports. You know, played a lot of street hockey in the neighborhood, stick ball, what have you. Yeah. And uh, I, I, one of the things I remember is uh, watching Batman. And uh, the old TV series that was on yeah. uh, with Burt Ward West. and uh, Adam West. Yes. Yeah. And uh, 
I said I wanted to do that. And I remember my mother telling me, oh, well, you see, because I wanted to be Batman and Robin, both of them at the same time. <laughs> but my mother said, you know, that that's not really Batman and Robin. You you know that. And I said, yeah, Ma, I know. It's Dick Grayson and uh, Bruce Wayne. Um, Bruce Wayne, yes. And she said, no, it's not even them. It's guys <laughs> playing them, playing. And so once I grasp that i understood that i could create my own world of escape and fantasy like i said mm. and uh started wondering what that was and then when i was a little bit older i saw this tv series called qb7 with anthony hopkins and ben gazara and i was riveted and my mother was so surprised that that an adult program miniseries that you had to watch i don't know if it was over a series of nights or over a couple of weeks i forget now mm -hmm. but it was so fascinating to me and and that's when I first developed an interest. Unfortunately, it took another twenty years before I auditioned for anything, uh, for the for the reasons I I uh, I stated. But uh, that's okay. Yeah, wasn't, I it, wasn't it Bruce that Willis? Set the hook. Yeah, wasn't it Bruce Willis who was like a bartender in his like I don't know, late to mid thirties, of almost forties, and then he was cast in Die Hard, and you know, then the career he has had. Um, but well, Moonlighting uh, before that was such a great, great series, and I think that's where we all. I got to see the talents of Bruce Willis and, you know, totally. America fell in love with him. But yeah. So you, you do some theater. You, obviously, the, the bug had finally, you know, bit you. Um, you know, oh, yeah. how do you get into TV? Yeah, well, I uh, I did those back-to-back uh, -back plays in Las Vegas. And then I did another one. Uh, as I And I got into an acting class and took it very seriously and studied the craft and learned uh, how to go about that. Mm -hmm. And then a uh, TV show came to Las Vegas called The Watcher. It was on the old UPN channel. Mm -hmm. And I auditioned for a part and got it. And then a few weeks later, that same director came back because, you know, in television, they, they rotate, generally speaking. Yeah. And he called me back in and said, I'm not supposed to do this, but I, I really liked what you did. So we'll make you a doctor and put a mask on. Uh, you'll have to audition, but I, 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 I like it was an actor so um you know as long as you don't blow the audition you'll get it and i did and i so i had to wear a mask <laughs> and then for some reason I, I was accused of of uh bursting an aneurysm in a patient's head and while i was in, on the operating table so i ripped the mask off and i'm so distraught and the director came up to me and said you're gonna be all right in this business you know exactly what to do your instinct was to pull it off <laughs> and now i got your face on camera but i'll deal with that so uh, that, that was the first bit of television I did. And then I decided I, I can't stay in Las Vegas. Not enough work yeah. comes here. Uh, I'm going to have to make the move. So I, I went to Hollywood, quote, end quote, and yeah. uh, been here ever since. What was uh, now that's got to be somewhat of a culture shock. East Coast guy moving into California. What was your experience uh, sort of transitioning to the West Coast? Sure. Well, Vegas was the in-between. You know, mm -hmm. I went there, like I said. Uh, with a couple of friends of mine, just just for a lifestyle change. And that's where I started acting. And I made a couple of trips while I lived in Las Vegas. I lived there probably a couple of years anyway, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made a couple of trips to LA. So I saw that it was okay. And, uh, you know, I, I liked the people. I loved the warm weather of Southern California. So much better than Boston. Much better. Yeah, than Boston. <laughs> much better than Boston. I, I love where I'm from. I love my hometown. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in, in Southie and, uh, uh, I know that, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of movies about that and, mm -hmm. and a lot of talk about it. And 
some people claim they're from South Boston who are not. I don't know why you would do that. But anyway, that just specifically, that's where I came from. But they're two big cities. It's not like I came from a tiny little town in uh, Arkansas or something where it was such a difference. I, I still understood big big city life. Uh, but it was it was nice. You gotta love that the sunshine and warm weather. That's for sure. Oh, totally. Uh, so you know, let's bring us up to speed. Then it's it's different for you to act in a TV show, but then come to host. You know, American Homecoming. And how did you get involved with American Homecoming? And, and you know, fill us in on what it is. Yeah, I, I had this wonderful agent, uh, my very first agent, who really believed in me, and that just that just meant everything to me. Mm-hmm. And she thought that I was capable of much more than I thought I was capable of. And she thought I'd make a really good host, in her words. And she was sitting next to a uh, a hosting agent at this event and started saying, I have this guy, he'd make a great host. And he said, no, 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 I want real hosts, not actors who think they're hosts. Anyway, I got a meeting with him. He decided to rep me and because we got drunk together. <laughs> I'm sure he regretted that. But the first thing he sent me out on, I I, I booked the job. And from that, um, the president of a network saw me on that and and offered me this other thing to host. And so I'd go back and forth. I mean, I truly love acting. But when Booze Traveler came around, a show I hosted for Travel Channel, it's really hard to say no to seeing the world and traveling and having a couple of cocktails and having a steady gig. It was really great. So I'd like to think that I I can do both. The tr- truth is, though, uh, I I have to take what, whatever work comes around. Mm-hmm. But I I really enjoy uh, hosting. There's something about uh, having all that responsibility on my shoulders it, to carry a show and and to be yourself. You know, it's odd. Acting training teaches you other things. Hosting, you have to forget about all that mm-hmm. and just be yourself. You have to put away anything that feels like you're acting. And just respond in the moment truthfully as yourself. So it's yeah. a different thing. You can't hide behind a character. So it's really nice to to go back and forth uh, and to be able to do both. And I'm I'm lo- lucky. Uh, you know, I'm really really honored that that uh, I occasionally get work in in both areas. So American Homecoming. Uh, this this show is based around helping veterans and then helping to refashion their house. Uh, to accommodate the needs that they they have now, um, and how did you hear about it? How did you? Is it something that stuck out? You said, "I want to do this," or "I want to be a part of this project." Well, I wasn't even aware of it. Certainly, I was well aware of veterans and their struggles when they come home, and how we really don't take care of them, in my opinion, like we should. We send them off to war, defend our freedoms, represent our country, and then when they come back, I I, I always believe that we we didn't do enough for them. Uh, but I thought, what can I do? And then all of a sudden, this guy reaches out to me through a mutual friend, Tracy Trost, who created American Homecoming. He was the director, the writer, the executive producer, the creator. And he reached out and said, hey, I'm I'm developing this show. Um, and our friend, who's a, is a well-known actor, said, I think Jack can help you shape that. And truth is, it didn't need much. I just gave him my two cents now and then. Uh, but he really put it all together. And uh, finally, was ready to, to to shoot it. And he asked me if I wanted to be the host, which was wonderful compliment. I said, "Sure, I'd be I'd be honored to do a show like that." And uh, we found a vet who was in need. This particular gentleman was in a wheelchair, and his spine was being crushed. 
by the cancer that he developed. And uh, so you can imagine just wherever it is that, that you live, imagine all of a sudden you have to live like that now in a wheelchair, navigating the steps, negotiating through the, the, the twists and turns or rolling it over thick carpeting perhaps. So what the, the, the conceit of the show is to give them a semblance of their life back, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in, in whatever way we can to make it at least not as difficult as it is normally. So th they take out the steps and they put in ramps, at least in the front of the house. Um, they widen the doorways, which in itself is a huge job. And then, then there's a remote with which they can open all the doors in their home. Uh, they rip out the carpeting and put in hardwood floors. They uh, take out the tub and put in a huge shower that they can just roll in. And the knobs are easy uh, to to turn on and off and all of that. And the aesthetic, they, they make this a, a beautiful home, not just functional, but they painted and put in shelving. So we had a designer and a, a lead construction guy and a master craftsman. And that's all part of the show, which, by the way, can be found at AmericanHomecoming.tv. It's online right now only. It, it's a different approach as opposed to going to a network. But mm -hmm. I, I, I think that uh, I think this is the right way to do it, certainly for now. And I, I couldn't be prouder to be part of this. It's really wonderful. You know, we all like to work in whatever field we want to work in. To me, it's acting and hosting. But then to be a part of something that is not just entertaining, but you feel is important and you give back just a little bit. Um, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I guess I can't find another word. I'm very proud to be a part of this. Oh, of course, certainly. And even watching the trailer of American Homecoming, you, you, you well up seeing the change in, in the, the, the lives, um, the things that they're dealing with. And then suddenly, you know, they have this brand new home that just, like you said, functions for them and their family. Um, did, did you have any, uh, military veterans in your family did you know how aware were you of the veteran community before being involved with the the tv show yeah i come from a very small family um i have just have one sister my mother just has one sibling a brother uh, my grandmother just has one sibling a brother so there's not there's not a lot of people there but my father uh was in the navy when he mm -hmm. was young i was 17 when he joined and um on my mother's side, my great uncle was actually a, a bombardier in mm. World War II, and he was shot down, and he was a prisoner of war in a in a Nazi camp um, for uh, a period of time. Mm -hmm. So, there's of the small family, we've had some people that have, uh, you know, given themselves in service of this country. Uh, thankfully, they both made it out alive. My great uncle uh, certainly was traumatized by his experience. Um, but yeah, a few people in my family have served. Not like there's a whole uh, line of you know fathers and sons doing it. But uh, I thought that since I didn't serve, this was a great way to give back just a little. I certainly understand that. Uh, I didn't serve personally, um, but being a part of the Veterans Breakfast Club and you know being able to provide platforms for for veterans and and people such as yourself who are doing projects with veterans and passionate about veteran stories and veteran issues um, is just a, a. I just feel very honored to be a part of that. So I totally can understand. Uh, did your did your great uncle ever talk about his his experiences? Was that something that uh, that was okay to talk about? Well, uh, since we're going down that path, he never did. Uh, mm -hmm. He was tortured and beaten. And uh, in, in order to, I guess, try to mask the pain a little bit, he mm -hmm. started drinking. He became, uh, it was, a, it was a, a happy drunk when he drank, but it was the only way he could deal with it. Never talked about it. 
and uh, he he just he just never would. He just avoided the the subject. And when he passed, uh, underneath his bed was a lockbox that we found, and uh, inside postcards that he wrote to his mother, uh, saying, "Dear mom, uh, the Nazis are treating us well. The war will be over soon. Clearly, they're winning." And they were forced to write these postcards. Otherwise, they couldn't write home at all. So he would try to write in code and different things. Right. And when he left, he told his sister, my grandmother, that a Nazi guard took his swastika off his arm and handed it to him and said, no hard feelings. It's just war. And that very same armband was in that lockbox. It just, it just to see it to feel it just felt like it was touching evil it's just something that yeah just such a stark reminder of the of, of the mass genocide that took place under that regime mm-hmm. and how the world could be different if they'd won and uh i just realized how much he must have gone through that he couldn't talk about it at all ever which is too bad because you'd like to think that someone would have saw this vet and said we can get you help we can put you into a program where you can talk about your issues. We can we can treat you in various ways, but that wasn't available to him back then. That's why I'm I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of this to start the conversation to say we must do more. We owe them this. It's mm-hmm. easy to sweep it under the rug, but it's our obligation not to do so. So lead me through that first episode. What was how did the veteran respond uh, to this, his house being completely refashioned and remodeled uh, into this new, the new home? Cause you know, if you do this much work to it, we're having a bathroom remodeled and that seems like a Herculean task, but this sounds like way more extensive. Oh yeah. This is how it sets up. So the vet agrees uh, and he has to, you know, sign paperwork and all that, that he trusts them. <laughs> Wait, yeah, me. They're, gonna, they're gonna come in with sledgehammers. You gotta, you gotta not, sign something, not, right? <laughs> not me, but they give them an idea of of what it is they're going to do, but nothing specifically. And I gotta give him a lot of credit. He, he trusted us. He said, "Okay, sure. Um, I guess that it sounds like a good idea because." It's not livable the way it was, you know. It's it's it, he he knows something must be done, so he allows them to go in and to refit the whole house and design it and paint it and add woodworking and artwork and everything. And uh, it's so great. He goes away for a week, and then he comes back and we load cameras onto his approach vehicle and just to see the trepidation on the way in to down the streets and you can hear them and you can see them. Oh, I wonder what they did. And you see he's getting nervous and it's this wonderful real time, honest reaction to thinking what must've happened here. And then we, we wheel them up the sidewalk and there's no steps there anymore up this very short ramp to his house. And I stop right before and I give him the remote control and I say, click that right there. And the door opens and it's a wider doorway. And it's amazing, by the way. I got to give Tracy and uh, his army of volunteers uh, a, a shout out. They were so, I, I can't believe they were able to do that in such a short time because it really did all happen within a week. But then he rolls up to the house and he looks up and he takes it all in, wondering, is this a good idea or maybe not a good idea? And as he comes through the door, his reaction, which I'll save. Because you should see the show, right? Uh, and 
again, it's AmericanHomecoming.tv. And as he comes in, he has this wonderful, honest, beautiful reaction. And then from there, there's another twist, another really wonderful surprise. Uh, and and I'll, I'll save that, of course, for, for Lynn. But it's, it, to answer your question, he had a, 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 a big and real reaction to what ha happened. And, uh, well, the rest, as they say, is history. You're you're a, you're a master of the tease. You you may have done some work in soap operas. Like there's a good there's a good like hook dun, there. Dun, dun. I actually, Sean, I have to be honest. I'm not even me. I'm my evil twin. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. What'd you do with the good one? Um, yeah. Well, it sounds so wonderful. How many veterans did they help within the first season? Well, actually, we just shot a pilot. And okay. Generally speaking, as you know, being an actor in television. Either you shoot a trailer, which is called a teaser or a sizzle reel. Maybe you do a pilot. And in this case, of course, it's really hard to understand the scope of the show. Just mm -hmm. doing a two or three minute trailer, as they call them, or sizzle reel. So um, Tracy decided to do a, a whole pilot. And and you really have to do that. To, 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 to redo the whole house, you don't want to just put this in a little short little thing. You want to see the the, the expanse, the the uh, impact it has, the, how you change the house completely. Yeah. And I think that has to be done over a whole pilot. So we shot that. It's up on the website. Um, and uh, perhaps if it gets picked up by a network or a streamer or, or a cable, maybe it'll it'll be there. But for now, that pilot lives right at the website. And it's free to watch. Yes, absolutely. And because we would like to start this conversation, as we say, about veterans and their needs and taking care of them, when they come home, um, it's uh, we're asking that you share it. If you if you click on it, if you know about it, if you watch it, if it speaks to you, please share it with as many people as you know, because we got to get the word out. Well, I think this is such a great TV show in the sense of not only does it uh, help out veterans, but you know we know the popularity of of stations like HDTV or you know they they have tons of programs about people going in and demolishing the house and rebuilding it or remodeling or refinishing it you know and we get to watch the whole process of selecting all these different things and the process of watching i mentioned that we're doing a bathroom remodel right upstairs in my house currently and it's been fun over the and i'll say that one bathroom remodel in our house is taking four weeks so for them to remodel an entire house in one week blows my mind they must be working 24 mm. hours a day yeah um, me too and they were yeah, yeah. But to watch the guys upstairs and to take pictures of the process of this, that demo took, you know, two days. And then suddenly this bathroom that we had that was basically a postage stamp on our third floor is now being expanded and moved and, and how beautiful it looks already. And like, the you know, to see all the studs and think, how are they envisioning this? That leads me to the, the team that is involved in this, the volunteers that are doing it, which is amazing in its own right, because you usually have to, on a TV show, pay talent. Uh, pay for uh, engineers, pay for master electricians, things like that. But for guys to just volunteer their their time to be able to refashion this for a veteran is just, uh, it, I tip my cap to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, they really worked hard. And as you just said, they worked around the clock. And it's it's amazing how they knew it was for a purpose greater than themselves, mm -hmm. right? To To turn this house once again into a home they they felt a calling. This is not something they did to be on TV. They couldn't care less about being on television. They wanted to do this wonderful deed uh, for this man who really needed it. And I, 
I had the easiest job, to be honest. I just had to facilitate the whole thing and to and to host it. I'm not great with a hammer or a drill or a saw. Uh, I did a little bit of work when I was instructed how to do so. Um, but again, it was so great to be a part of it. As small a part of it as a part of it as I was, uh, mm -hmm. it was uh, it was really it was really thrilling and exciting to know that we were all chipping in uh, for this uh, in this wonderful endeavor for this guy who. Uh, it's going to be like that, you know? I mean, I, I can't imagine. I, I couldn't even be in a wheelchair for one day. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine knowing that you're going to be there the rest of your life. It's interesting because it, it, part of our network at BBC, we have a couple gentlemen who had lost an arm in, in Vietnam. And uh, Harry Van Riper, his name sticks out to me, mainly because we've talked with him. We've featured him in our BBC magazine. And he will say, even despite the fact that, that he is being fashioned for a, a, a prosthetic arm, that he doesn't even need the arm at this point. He's lived without the arm for so long that he, wow. just the way that he lives, he just understands how to work with his body. Uh, so something that could be completely foreign to me as a civilian and watching and saying, how how do you do this? There's something about veterans that I've learned over the course of the last you know several years is just how they persevere. Going back to that word, how they persevere through uh, trauma, how they persevere through uh, difficulties, you know, and, and just like living in their house, living with the, 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 you know, the way that the war may have changed them. Um, it's, it's uh, something incredible to watch and something for the, the American homecoming, you know, uh, the, the, the fans who will tune in, the, the, the people that will see this and say, wow, you know, what an incredible life. And, and yeah, you've been able to refashion this, this, this home to function better for him. And he's able to, to move right in and be able to like, oh, I can breathe. I don't have to ch be challenged by the doorway anymore. I can live in my home, which is just incredible. But I want to go back to one thing that you just said, because as an actor, we're usually pretty good. Not Maybe we might not be the best with a hammer, but we are fast studies. Because <laughs> half the time you're going to walk on stage and they're going to say, well, here's a sword. Let's figure out how to use it. And you got to, and you have to do it. You have to do it in the moment. So I, I just want to speak to your talent that, you know, if you're walking on set to be help out, I'm sure that you were pretty adept. Well, I don't know about that. You know, one of the things um, that's important to me is authenticity when I'm being mm -hmm. myself. It's one thing when you're a character and you're fulfilling the, the author's intentions when you're doing a play or a television series or, or a movie and people understand that you're someone else. But when I'm myself, I, I want to be, uh, as real as as it as as possible, and I did this show for Travel Channel called Booze Traveler. When I went, I was I went around the world studying cultures and what they drank and why they drank it, etc. And uh, on 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 that show, I I didn't want to ever uh, read lines. I mm. wanted to just act in the moment, not act. I wanted to react in the moment and be real and really drink what I said I was drinking. And these are real people. It was never a put on. So same with this. I didn't want to make it seem like I was more handy than I really am. Yeah. So I, I make fun of myself <laughs> with with these particular tools because I know I'm not good. And anyone watching who has any experience at all would say he's never done that before. And it's not that I haven't. I haven't done it enough compared to, of course, relative to all the people who were experts and were working through it and all. And we didn't mm -hmm. do it just just to to have the host do it but but to show that no matter what you can do even in the smallest amounts 
it's worth it to pitch in to t whatever you can do, do it. Whether you can do big things or little things, do it anyway. Pitch in because it all helps. Can you talk a bit about your co-host is CC Mazik? Yeah, she was great. You know, she was a sergeant first class, I believe, uh, in the army and jumped out of a, a, a plane and her chute got tangled with another chute. And with all her training, she was able to uh, undo it and work it and cut away and all of that. But she just couldn't help it because the wind smashed her into someone else. So she was able to, but just a little too late. And she hit the ground straight on as opposed to knees bent and uh, chatted. Uh, a couple of vertebrae, and uh, she now is in that position. Um, and again, she did it in service to her country. And so she was a wonderful co-host to have, Cece was, because she understood exactly what it's like to have to be in a wheelchair and all of the challenges. And she even says this, and it's such a great bit of insight. She said the biggest thing that being in a wheelchair is your independence. You want to be independent. You don't want to uh, rely on other people or have to rely on them. You know that you're limited, but here is not limited. So you want to do as much as you can for yourself. And it's important that you do so. So that's how Tracy approached doing the home so that we could give our, our vet, Garrett Robitaille, his independence it, to some degree. Clearly, you're going to be limited. But but keep, keeping that in mind, that was it. It wasn't just the aesthetic or the functionality. It was also what can we do to make him independent? And Cece was, was really good at expressing that. Uh, so it was great to be her co-host. And then there's Dave Riley, he, mm -hmm. uh, who was in the Coast Guard. He, he has no arms, no legs, missing some organs because he caught a bacteria in the river uh, while he was in the Coast Guard. And uh, he became a master craftsman after losing his limbs, a master craftsman. And as a matter of fact, he makes a very important thing that's part of this show that really, uh, this wonderful, beautiful moment at the end of it, uh, at the end of the episode, he's responsible for this particular thing that helps us get there. Uh, but I mean, unbelievable here. <laughs> I am making excuses for things that I can't do. And with, with just this... Uh, I, I, I don't know how to say the it. Prosthetics. prosthetics. Yeah. Yeah. Prosthetics that look like hooks more than really, you know, uh, yeah. all the fingers. It's not all that intricate is what I'm saying. And he still became a master craftsman. He really has my admiration. And then Kara, the designer, did such a beautiful job. And Jimmy, our contractor, he made sure everybody just got everything they needed to get this thing done. I, I this This team is amazing. And like I said, I was just a small part of it. But just to watch them, I was in awe of the whole process. I knew what was happening and what the result was going to be, or somewhat anyway. But just to watch everybody and see how good they were, they, uh, they, they, that whole team has has my advert. Not, not just Cece, she certainly does, but all of them. It just it was such a great thing. I hope we're able to do more episodes because it's important work. Being a non-veteran yourself but watching other veterans who are part of this production, helping out a veteran in shaping the home, what did it mean to them? Did they have any conversations with you about like, boy, I, I, I would love for this to, to be something that we could do for everybody. Yeah. You know, we had this round table discussion um, after I interview uh, Garrett, our Navy vet who's in the wheelchair 
and we all sit around this table and talk about uh, our responsibilities, mm-hmm. our obligations, and what it, what it's like. And the other vets in the room uh, talk about that and how important it is that they give back. And that's why they were there. They're, they're not in television. They're not actors or TV hosts. They wanted to do it simply to give back because they understood firsthand what it's like to be in that position. What is the best way for uh, other, you know, American homecoming TV. Is there another mm-hmm. way for people to engage or to help out donate? Uh, right now you just go there and, and all the information is there. You become a delegate, which doesn't cost anything. You just, by doing that, you're giving a certain uh, commitment that you'll share that you'll share the word. That's all. So we can get this thing. Uh, like I said, this conversation started uh, and, so that we could all understand even further what we must do for our brave men and women who can't come back from service. And it doesn't mean they have to be in the theater of war in a foreign land. They could be serving here on base and something could happen to them, which happens um, often too. So just go to the American homecoming TV uh, and, and you could, it's pretty self-explanatory or you could follow me at Southie Jack on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and that's a, a tribute to my neighborhood in which I grew up, Southie, S-O-U-T-H-I-E-J-A-C-K, Southie Jack. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can always reach out. And if you have questions about the show or where it's going to be, I'll get back to you as soon as I can, of course. Um, and But that's that's the place to go to find out more about the show, AmericanHomecoming.tv. Jack, it's always in our sort of, in the acting field, we always say, hey, what are you working on now? So, you know, other than American Homecoming, what else do you have uh, coming up? I have a couple of projects. Um, a, a show I created um, uh, that we're we're taking out, as they say, a couple of little things. But I I, I wouldn't want to dilute the importance of 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 this this particular uh, project. American Homecoming means so much to me. It it's it seems almost trite or trivial to talk about my other things because it's not about me. It's about the vets and helping them as much as we can. This isn't just about promoting a television show. That's not why I'm here. It's about understanding the cause and and what we all must do. If we feel any responsibility to that, we should do what we can. And I'm not imploring people to do so. It's still a television show, as it were, and hopefully it's entertaining and moving and interesting, but but we, we wanna get it out there. So maybe uh, I'd be very happy to come back on to talk about my other projects, but today it's about Garrett Robitaille, the vet that that, that whose house we were able to transform with his permission and, and the vets in general. So I think this is about them today, if that's okay with you. Perfectly okay. Well said and well put. And I, Jack, I really want to thank you for the time today. In uh, If you're listening, please check out the description of the podcast or here on YouTube. Check out the description. You'll get the link to AmericanHomecoming.tv. Just click on that. Give the show a watch. Become a delegate, please. And also for my Scuttlebutt audience, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at VeteransBreakfastClub.org. Org. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, uh, or have ideas of up future upcoming episodes, um, Jack, it's been an honor and a, and a pleasure to hear you speak so passionately uh, for this project. I'm hoping that everybody uh, takes in American Homecoming and becomes a delegate and gets the word out for you. Thank you, Sean. Likewise, uh, thank you for what you do. Oh, of course, and I'm I'm going to take you up on bringing you back on. So I'll reach out. Sounds good. All right. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye bye.
Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. Uh, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now. We've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit. Uh, they have classes, nicotine replacement therapy, and a popular quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations. So I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health for your support.